everyone, welcome to the Paw Awareness Podcast, and thanks for joining me. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, and also check us out at pawawareness.org and on Instagram at pawawareness underscore official. On Instagram, we are doing submissions for Pet of the Week, where you can submit your foster pet and we'll pick one winner every month and we'll give $200 to their choice of charity or foster. Thanks for watching and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Paul Awareness Podcast. Today I have Amber Van Luken. She is the Executive Director of Arc Valley Humane Society. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited to talk with you. I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself and as well as the organization. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. As Chris said, my name is Amber. I'm the Executive Director at Arc Valley Humane Society. We're located in Buena Vista, Colorado, and we serve a community about the size of 20,000 people, so pretty small, rural. We're in the mountains. And I've been involved with um, Arc Valley Humane Society for 16 years. And how has being involved with something over the course of, you know, you're approaching two decades, what has that looked like since when you started to now? And you can talk about yourself as well. Like, have, did you have you always been in the same position? Did you kind of evolve into that position? And then how has the Humane Society changed at, at Arc Valley? Yeah, well, uh Rewinding back to 2004, I had just moved to the community from New York, and I signed up to become a volunteer at Arc Valley Humane Society. So that's how I started. And at that time, things looked really different. In the building, every single kennel was full. Uh, There would even be Uh, portable crates stacked up um, in side rooms and things to accommodate additional animals. And in the summertime, when the animal population was highest, uh, there were even animals turned away at the door for lack of room. And uh, it was overwhelming to experience just wanting to help every animal and feeling like the staff team was pulled in all directions. And as a volunteer, I uh, would help with rotating the dogs into the yard so that they could spend time uh, working with individual animals to do uh, things like vaccinations and behavioral assessments. And then um, a few months into that, the a position, just an animal care technician position opened up. And I took that position and uh, I really wanted to not only be learning how to care for the animals and interact with the public, but make changes. Uh, How can we look more to the root of this issue, which is just um, more animals than an organization can really handle. And for that, I kind of looked back to uh, my volunteerism at another humane society while I was in college in New York, and that was Tompkins County SPCA. And at that time, they were really focusing on spay, neuter, and community programs to kind of look more at the root causes of um, what was causing 
this animal overpopulation. And so I took on the grant writing and we got some really good spay and neuter funding uh, to cover expenses for spay neuter programs in the community. And we partnered with local veterinarians and that over time started to address some of the overpopulation issues in the community. So then I, I moved into different positions. I was an assistant manager. I was a spay neuter programs manager. I also took some time um, for my family. I had two children and was helping with fundraising and other projects. And so it's kind of been this long process of not only seeing the organization evolve over time, but also the community evolve and expand its capacity to care for um, more animals in the community and so less of a burden on the shelter building itself. That's amazing that you talk about your journey like that. And for a community that's 20,000 people in Colorado, I love talking with the different organizations across America and asking just, you know, what are some things that you guys face geographically or in your region that maybe, you know, other places may or may not face? I feel like there's all these geographical uh, obstacles. And what's something that uh, Arc Valley faces in the mountains of Colorado? Yeah, that's a great question. And you're right. Every community is different and you can't take one shelter model and just transplant it somewhere else. You really have to look at the unique situation. And I feel like partner with and meet the community uh, where they are at. So you kind of have to look at what the culture is around animals and um, really understand how the community thinks about animals um, so a couple of things come to mind. One is that because we are a rural community and many people live in houses that are spread apart, um, there, there tends to be dogs um, that don't grow up with uh, the regular socialization that they might receive if they lived in a city. So like they're not maybe going to a dog park every day, they're not seeing other dogs, and they tend to um, just have a lack of socialization and sometimes related to that um, discomfort with meeting other dogs or barrier aggression. And so um, when we see dogs come into the shelter that need to find a new home, sometimes we find that they're quite under socialized with other dogs and sometimes with meeting new people as well. So that's a specific challenge um, in a rural area um, that we um, have used things like dog play groups um, to work to socialize dogs and then also um, creating individual behavior modification plans for animals um, that really help them to gradually become socialized to people better. Going over into the cat realm, we have a lot of uh, free roaming cats and especially in the rural areas, you know, feral colonies. And so we have an active trap neuter return program where we will pay for the cost of vaccinations and spay and neuter for feral cats. And then we will even, um, when feral cats live in a situation that they're not maybe safe or they're not wanted, um, we have an active barn home rehoming program. So we actually kind of adopt out 
about working cats with the idea that these are cats because of their age and lack of socialization when they were young could never um, function well inside of a home. They wouldn't um, be comfortable with people uh, petting them, but they're not aggressive toward people as long as, long as you kind of let them do their thing. So um, instead of euthanizing, we adopt them to barn homes where a person will provide them food and water and shelter, and then they'll help maybe keep the rodent population down on a farm. That's great. And I was not introduced to that until my area out here in California has that. And I think it's a great kind of very ingenious way to, like you said, get those cats in the right right place. Now, what are some of the, my questions are, are there certain qualifications for that specific program? And what kind of, like how many cats would you say per year are getting delegated to that? It's just, it's kind of interesting to me. Yeah, so all of our community spay-neuter programs helped um, around 250 animals last year. So for feral cats, it was probably over 100 um, that we we did spay-neuter. And I know those numbers don't sound very impressive because you're probably, you know, thinking um, from the perspective of, of California or like the number of animals that Los Angeles pushes through a spay-neuter program, but it's all relative to the need in the community. So we're not actually going out and like finding and seeking these cats. These are community members that reach out to us and say, hey, there's a lot of feral cats around my house or in my neighborhood and starting to be concern for their welfare. And so we actually partner with the community. Um, They're the ones who are doing the trapping in humane traps. They're the ones who are transporting to the veterinary clinics. We partner with various veterinary clinics who will um, provide the spay and neuter services and the vaccinations. And then those cats will be returned to where they're living or occasionally will assist with rehoming them. And then we also have an outreach manager on our staff that can help train community members and help facilitate. And if there is a situation where the person for some reason is unable to do it, then she'll often step in. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how the program works is, is by spaying and neutering like over 100 feral cats last year, we could specifically focus on colonies of cats and ensure that a large percentage of those cats in the colony are spayed and neutered so that their numbers don't continue to grow and grow and then, you know, have just uh, an abundance of unwanted litters of kittens. And that's how we know our efforts are making a difference because over the year we've continued to see a decline in the number of kittens we receive coming out of these feral colonies. And last summer was was just case in point. We had we had less and less um, kittens. Last summer was our lowest kitten summer ever. And that being said, you know, everyone loves kittens. They're cute and fuzzy. And why wouldn't we want kittens coming to the shelter and getting rehomed? And from these feral colonies, it's actually a really rough start in life. And a lot of these kittens come in with major health issues. Um, Coccidia has been a huge challenge in rural Colorado for the last few years. And um, the medications we have to treat it are less and less effective. So there's actually an an intensive amount of care that goes into saving these kittens. And we rely heavily on foster homes for doing so. That's amazing that the community is, you know, the one reaching out to you about it. And it sounds like, you know, it's a very, very tight community up there. So, and I also wanted to ask too, 
you know, I, you briefly touched on 2020. But how did 2020 and the COVID directly impact? Like, what kind of uh, impact did you see in Arc Valley, like Humane Society? What was that like? Yeah, it was a, a really incredible year to experience um, from the perspective of animal welfare. And but before I answer that question, I'm going to back up one year before that, because I feel like it ties things a little bit together from your original question, which is what's, you know, unique about our community or what are the special challenges? And, and one of the things that I had said was that you know, you have to com- meet the community where they're at. And so we had this interesting experience in 2019 where I was I was actually getting ready to leave for a trip and I was at the airport, <laughs> um, was taking vacation time. And I got a phone call from our staff and they said, Amber, I know you're getting ready to leave, but we um, just got in this dog with some major, major issues with its bowel and um, way beyond anything we could deal with medically ourselves with the veterinarian we contract with, and he would need to go to a specialist. And it turned out after the specialist had examined him that he would need $6,000 worth of surgery. And the prognosis was decent, but not, you know, 95%, maybe an 80% success rate for it. And um, I sat there and I was like, oh my goodness, are we going to spend $6,000 on saving one dog? Like, what would the community think about this? Like, would they be mad at us? Would they be excited to do this? Like, it was one of these moments where I was just not sure how to proceed. And um, I reached out to our board of directors and uh, most animal shelters, I mean, municipal ones maybe don't, um, but if you're a nonprofit agency and we are, and then we have the municipal contract for spay and neuters, we have a board of directors, which are volunteers who actually oversee, you know, the vision of the shelter and the financial side of things. um, And they're my bosses. And I reached out to them and I look at them as stakeholders in the community, right? These are people that really have their pulse on where our community is at more than maybe I would or my staff would because we kind of live in this um, or work in this bubble of of sheltering. And I said, what you know, what feels right to you? What feels right in your heart? Um, Should we go for this? And it was so interesting because the resounding answer was, yeah, let's go for this surgery. And at the same time, I said, let's make a big story of it. Let's put it out there in the community. Let's fundraise for this dog. And if the community says, you know what, this is ridiculous and animal shelters spending this money, much money on one dog. It's a waste of our time and money. Um, at least we'd learn that, right? But maybe there's a chance that the community would have the opposite response and we could learn that about our community and really expand as an organization that um, can do more for individual animals. And You know, there was pictures of him going to the specialist and, you know, the whole community ended up falling in love with him. There was a newspaper article written. um, And by the time I got home from my trip two weeks later, um, we had raised over $8,000 in support of this one dog. And (laughs) so that was like, okay, I need to not be stuck in the past. 
I need to think, wow, we are as a community evolving to really raising that bar and doing so much for each individual animal that comes through our doors. And so then to answer your question about 2020, you know, uh, before the pandemic, we were still functioning what I would call as like a traditional animal shelter. So we had an office, we had office hours, we had um, kennels that the animals were housed in. Yes, we had a foster program, but it was relatively small and really just helped us with very special cases. And you know, the services we provided were lost and found and adoptions, right? Or people could relinquish their animals. So very just traditional animal sheltering. And the the building was noisy. You know, you'd sit in your office and you'd hear a lot of dogs barking. There was a lot of people coming through. There was this army of volunteers that would come in to help with cleaning, to help with walking the dogs, um, to help with socializing the cats. And so it, it, it felt like, wow, there's just so much work to do. And there's always so much cleaning to do and always so much laundry to do. And, you know, you'd you'd finish one day and it would just start over. And then the pandemic happened and there was this really strong push for everyone to, you know, stay at home and not even uh, come into work and interact with each other if at all possible. And so not, not only did we want to comply with that, but, you know, you, you realize the, how the pandemic worked is it, put everyone in their homes, right? Everyone was suddenly at home. And so we reached out to the community at large and said, we need your help. We're trying to clear the shelter of animals so that everybody can be safe at home. And within a matter of days, I mean, probably it was no more than three or four days, the entire shelter was empty. There were zero animals in the building. And like I said, I'd, I'd been involved or worked there um, over a period of 16 years. And to suddenly be like, what? There's no animals in the building. This is possible. Our community will do this. And with no notice was just a, a, such an inspiring and profound moment for us. And then we said, well, let's, let's keep this momentum going, right? What do we need to do to retrain ourselves and reorganize our operations so that we can keep animals out of the building? And what that looked like was us really thinking of instead of our staff members being animal care technicians who spent half their day feeding, rotating, cleaning kennels. They shifted gears and we did a retraining so that they could become caseworkers. So when an animal came into the building, a specific staff member was assigned to that animal. And then that animal would receive its vaccinations, its medical evaluation, and a behavioral evaluation that allowed us to match that animal up with 
a potential foster home. And then that staff member coordinated with that foster person. So maybe there wasn't a foster lined up and we would almost have to market, say like we're looking for a foster for this animal. And then that staff member would train that person to become a foster for the organization, would do a home inspection, um, which is required by PACFA, which is the governing and licensing body for animal shelters in Colorado, and then would be the point of contact for that foster while that an foster person, while that animal was in the foster home, would be the person that would learn about the animal, ask questions, receive photographs, re receive video, would be the person to market that animal and then be the initial point of contact for people wanting to adopt that animal once that animal became available for adoption. So, you know, can counsel. So here we are really shifting the way that we um, oversee the process of receiving animals, learning about those animals, making them available for adoption, and then counseling those adoptions. And what we found in this process was we, we learned so much more about the animal than we ever could when that animal in would have been in the shelter environment because you know we we all know this intuitively that animals in a shelter environment are not the happiest they can be and they're not in a setting that would cause them to act in ways that they would normally act in a home environment so we all know intuitively that an animal's going to be happier in a foster home but the pandemic allowed us to actually experience this for all the animals in our care, not just special cases. And that took a lot of um, figuring out how to retrain, figuring out how to reorganize our staff responsibilities, but it worked well. And what we realized is the workload was cut down because we weren't spending half of our day cleaning. So then our staff was a lot happier, like our wellness, we had a lot more personal wellness amongst our staff and our staff could then invest more of their energy and time into these individual animals and their relationship with the foster parents. They could work from home more. So we um, now have two cohorts. Our, our staff team is eight people and we're divided into two cohorts. So we actually only have half the normal staff in the building at any time now. And all staff have the opportunity to work from home throughout the week. So that has just been this big shift in our work-life balance and personal wellness. And then we looked at, well, what... Uh, it's not Groundhog Day. We're not waking up every morning and just feeding, cleaning, rotating dogs, rotating cats into playrooms. You know, it suddenly there's this break in our consciousness where it's like, okay, well, what does our community really need? How can we up our game? How can we do more for pets in our community? Our mission as a humane society is ensuring the welfare of companion animals with compassion and care. There's nothing in our mission that says sheltering, right? How can we ensure the welfare of these pets in our community? Uh, we started a pet food bank. So we did these big uh, food drives and the community stepped up and they donated a bunch of pet food. And now we um, partner with multiple not only food pantries for people, 
but also these food distributions that happen monthly in the community. And so as they're distributing food to people, they're also there with food distribute, distributing food to pets. Individuals can reach out to us at any day and say, I need pet food for my pet and we can supply it. Another thing, uh, because we had more kennels now open in the shelter building, we uh, could offer free emergency boarding services. So if somebody was suddenly experiencing housing instability issues, or maybe a family member is hospitalized, pet owner has something come up, some sort of crisis in their life, previously they might be in a really difficult situation and decide they need to relinquish the pet. Well, now we're able to provide boarding for that animal. And we can't do that indefinitely because that's not what's best for the animal, but we can do it for a period of a few weeks while the person gets their situation in order and then can return the pet to the home. So that's another thing um, that we started to promote in the community and partnering with local agencies like human services, domestic violence, groups, um, you know, those different agencies now uh, give referrals to us and we can help respond to uh, human situations in the community um, by supporting pets. Because we know intuitively, we know from our hearts that pets are part of families. And if we just work in a silo and we think of pets as a separate issue, that's not a holistic perspective. That's not looking at the reality that these pets are part of families and these families are in crisis. What can we do to support the pet side of that in coordination with the other agencies to ultimately keep pets and people together? Uh, so that's been an exciting development. Additionally, um, an, another, re right, these are, this all comes under the heading of, of pet retention programs. You know, this is um, something there's more and more information about out there in animal welfare. Uh, but another example of that is somebody that's struggling with behavioral issues with that their pet is exhibiting in the home. And that might be a reason for the pet to be relinquished. Well, we have a gal on our staff who is a certified dog trainer, um, and she is available to the community to um, answer questions and help problem solve and provide behavioral support um, and help them make uh, a decision whether relinquishment is probably the best option or are there ways we can support this animal in the home? Can we provide some training tools? Can we provide uh, maybe a crate for the animal or help with separation anxiety issues so that we're not uh, looking at how many animals are coming into the shelter anymore, but we're actually counting the number of animals we're helping. Many of those are not coming into the shelter. So last year, um, we had our lowest intake year ever. And, and that, you know, isn't unique to our community. That happened all over Colorado. That actually happened nationally, where animal shelter intake was down significantly. On average, I think shelter animals count said by 35%. But our intake was a little over 400 animals last year. And then the number of animals helped in our community was over 1,200. So there's this big, you know, number of animals that we're able to assist through spay-neuter services, through our food bank programs, through those kind of services like emergency boarding that uh, we don't count as shelter intakes, but we are uh, supporting 
those pets that are in our community and helping pets stay with um, their people. That's so cool to hear about all of those creative approaches you guys are taking to, I feel like fight so many different battles in the, you know, that you're, that you're facing. And it sounds like too, you know, you, you made the best of COVID. And I thought that was cool too, how you mentioned, you know, carrying that momentum forward, not just stopping there. It's like, okay, how can we kind of keep that going? And it's really cool. The connection you guys have with your community, how deep seated that is. And I think a lesson too, is with the other organizations you guys are partnered with partnerships are huge and just being that staple is great. And I think you guys are a great example of everything a humane society should be doing. So that's fantastic. And what do you see as you guys have definitely a lot of momentum going for you in 2021? What are some things that you're excited for about this year that maybe you're working on or the direction you guys are going? What are some things that you see there? Yeah, absolutely. And that's such a great question because we always want to be looking forward and thinking about expanding and doing more. We created a new position for one of our staff members um, with the title of transfer coordinator. And the idea there, uh, because we always used to transfer in animals from time to time when we had space available, but that was from just neighboring communities. And what we've seen in Colorado overall is the need to transfer in uh, between neighboring communities is, is becoming less and less. And there's a greater need to consider establishing partnerships farther away that um, can make a meaningful impact on the community of origin for, from, for these animals. So we, the last thing we want to do is to, you know, reach out and just transfer in random animals uh, that might have health issues, that might have behavioral issues, and not really understanding the impact we're having on the communities we're transferring in from, and especially if we're crossing state lines to do that. And so we really want to start this position by uh, doing a lot of research. And the idea is having really meaningful partnerships with maybe just two or three different organizations that we can receive animals from, but then how can we give back to those communities? Can we support them with spay-neuter efforts in their communities to kind of um, look more at the root causes of those issues? Can we provide them with testing and medications so that we can ensure the animals are well before they get transferred to us? those sorts of things, because we ultimately want to ensure that we have adoptable animals for our community to adopt. And if they're coming less and less from our community and from Colorado, we want to be doing that in a responsible way. So that is one of the new frontiers for us is establishing new transfer partnerships. Another thing is to grow our behavioral program. So we now have a behavior and enrichment coordinator. Um, and that person wants to work to not only focus on um, what more can we do for the most behaviorally challenge challenged animals in our care, but how can we support the community more? And that may look like offering dog training classes or even um, cat classes um, through the Humane Society uh, so that we're 
providing more of a safety net for animals that are in the community or, or animals that we adopt into the community. Uh, so yeah, we're going to focus on behavior. We're going to focus on transfers. And then another thing we um, are going to focus on is um, the homelessness issue in our community. Um, there are homeless people that sleep in the cold on the streets. And uh, we do have a homeless shelter in town. It's small. Um, there are services available. Um, however, because of mental health issues and other challenges that many of these people face, there isn't just an easy solution. The idea is to continue our partnerships and make them stronger and stronger with the different agencies, with the police department, with human services, with mental health services, um, with the housing authority, with public health, so that we can have better awareness and be more of an active partner in the homelessness issue in our community. Because as many people know, it's not uncommon to see someone that's homeless that also has a pet living with them. And again, this is looking at root causes of well-being um, for people and animals. And, you know, we're set up so that any animal that needs a warm, safe place to sleep sleep um, has one, but can we say the same for every person who is in our community? And it's, it's a much more complex and challenging issue. So, you know, as a humane society, that's not on our shoulders to be the solution, but we want to be part of the solution and part of the um, community's response to these kind of issues. So again, going back to that idea of not working in silos and um, looking at the future as stronger collaborations um, within between agencies within our community. And then um, what I'm seeing in Colorado at large is we have the Colorado Federation of Animal Welfare Agencies, CAFAWA, and that is the network of all the different animal shelters and rescue groups in Colorado that there's a lot of momentum there for stronger collaboration between agencies and problem solving that involves the input of all these multiple agencies instead of each animal shelter in each community kind of figuring out and reinventing the wheel. Better communication there and just, you know, training opportunities for all of us, ideas sharing for all of us. Um, it is just a really exciting time to be working in animal welfare. I think, you know, I just feel so fortunate to have chosen a career where, you know, I can look back over you know, a 15 year span and say, wow, things have really, really changed in a powerful and impactful way. And, um, and we're not just doing the things the way they used to be done, but we're doing more for individual animals. And there's more, the community is a big part of that, the, the partnership with our community. That's so cool. And just taking everything, it sounds like even from when you started to, you know, like, thinking back on shelters that you've worked on previously, like you said, in New York to now you're taking everything from a problem solving approach. And it's like, how can I learn from this and what can we learn? And I think that, you know, that's a recipe for exponential growth. Like you're never going to get bad results from taking that mindset. So that's so cool. Really interesting organization. Really glad I was able to talk to you guys. And my question for you is, is, where can everyone find you at online? You know, where, what's your social media, website, all that stuff? 
Yeah, great. So uh, online, we are at ARC, A-R-K, dash, like a hyphen, valley, B-A-L-L-E-Y dot org. And we're also um, ARC Valley Humane Society on Facebook. We are on Instagram as well. So please look us up. We have all our different programs listed there. And um, if there are other organizations that are interested to hear about what we're doing, um, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I can put you in touch with various staff members that are working on specific projects. And we're all about idea sharing and even sharing our documents and, and things like that, our SOPs, whatever people are interested in, um, because that's how we all learn and expand is by being very open and transparent with what we're doing. So we all don't have to spend our precious time reinventing the wheel, but can really stand on each other's shoulders and backs and uh, do more for the animals in the community. And, and I just want to say how excited I am to be leading an organization that is now really embracing the foster-based model. It's like, yes, we have kennels, we have a building, and do we have to fill them all? Do they have to have, does the building have to be barking and meowing all day long? Um, no, uh, you know, these animals can be in foster homes, and if we can continue with a foster-based model, it means that the building becomes the place for animals to be received. And those really special cases, behavioral and medical, can be focused on. And we can offer like training classes and just this whole idea of reinventing the space instead of the space controlling what we do or what we're supposed to do with the animals. So yeah, just a really exciting time. And we are hopeful for 2021 that we can stay a foster-based model and, and grow the community support programs. What a cool story and couldn't agree more, you know, by sharing the information here, in essence, saving animals' lives. Yeah, Amber, seriously, thank you so much. All the social medias and, and whatnot will be in the description below on whatever medium you're listening on. But once again, Amber, thank you so much for coming on. Really, really great talk. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. It was great to meet you.